What's up, you absurd junkies? I'm Cole Adam Davis, your host among hosts, and welcome back to another episode of Absurd Curiosity Podcast. To those of you who are new, welcome to the community. We mostly talk about science, medicine, technology, really anything that involves STEM and that we're interested in, we talk about it. As always, I'm joined by the beautiful Stephen Pallotta. What's up, guys? And the nuclear shaman himself, Sean Pickett, a.k.a. Nuclear Geek. What's up, everyone? This episode is absolutely incredible. We had the opportunity to speak with one of the guys that is leading the revolution and pushing the boundaries of electric vehicles. After my conversation with Chris... I began to realize well-executed engineering is practically indistinguishable from art. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Thank you for watching. The man that we're bringing on today is absolutely incredible. In fact, some even call him Engineering Jesus, our great friend, Chris Dawson. How are you, man? I'm good. May the power of Atlas compel you. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, the hair, I, I... I remember you originally followed us on Twitter, and you had short hair. I think you mentioned this earlier, you know, you're ex-military, so you're always, like, buzz cut, always. Uh, but, dude, the hair, beautiful, commands respect. I, I understand why they're putting you in front of a head of XP platform. And it, is it XT now as well? Yeah, I've got uh, XT, XP, and then I'm heading up. Now that a crowdfund is done and that, that last push, I'm heading up the manufacturing side. So we're bringing the cell wow. forward. That's our first path to revenue. We'll generate revenue with the cell this year and then target in the millions of cells by the end of next year. And so that's the that's my primary goal as of today moving forward is to uh, produce the cell at a, a very high volume to really meet the demand that's currently out in the market. So, dude, they keep throwing stuff in my bucket. I just keep carrying it. <laughs> right. I was going to say, is all that cell manufacturing going to be done in-house uh, where you are today? Is there another facility that you're looking at? Yes. Um, so in order to make millions of cells, one, we need to utilize what we have currently available, right? So right now I'm sitting in a 44,000 square foot facility. We'll be able to produce tens of millions of cells out of this. We'll have to be really diligent about our use of space, utilizing multi-level mezzanines, automation, and we'll slowly work our way through that. So out of this space, we'll make tens of millions uh, of cells in a year and a half, two year time frame. Past that, we'll look at some greenfield development. Also at that same time, we'll be starting to kind of spread the fingers out a little bit and putting some of that revenue into XP development and XT development, which will be a Greenfield facility as well. What is uh, Greenfield? Is Greenfield just like a... Yeah, yeah. it's just a term indicating that you take a raw piece of land and you build exactly what you need on Ah, it. Ah, okay, yeah. We're just renting this out because it already exists and it's a standing structure and we can build within it. But really Mm -hmm. trying to find that that golden bullet facility, like no one's made an Atlas XPXT manufacturing facility, right? So mm. you're gonna have to, uh, it's, it's a give and take process, right? So it's like, oh, we can't do this because we need this much space or we need this much height or we yeah. need this much facility versus just saying Greenfield, design it, this is what I need. You're probably pulling some insane hours, you know, working on the prototype and everything, startup culture, right? But oh yeah. Uh, so what do you do to unwind and, and take a step back? <laughs> My one thing is uh, I just, I like the power lift, right? It really everything fades away when you, you load up your body with lots of weight you know, and lots of weight is relative to one's, you know, size, build mm. and capability. Everything around you fades away. Nothing matters. Nothing exists except for that moment, not the future, not the past, nothing outside of your three foot radius. It's you and the weight 
and it must go up. I, I know. I noticed that about Atlas. It seems like everybody, or at least in <laughs> in the the up. position of power, why is everybody just buff as hell? Uh, it's rift. Yeah, it's rift. Rift, Yeah. Well, I think so. Mark and I are, are are cut of the same cloth a bit, and uh, we we kind of have this. I don't want to put it, like conversation that we really push out to the engineers and how I like to put it is to survive here at Atlas and to really bring this about because it's not easy and it's not for everyone, but one must be the beast of burden that is invigorated by the weight of their yoke. So the pilot on and that needs to kind of drive you further forward, right? Mm-hmm. Stack it on. Let's go. Stack it on. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I'm so incredibly proud of the team. The last six weeks, They've been doing most of most everyone between 12 and 18 hour days nonstop for six weeks straight to get this done and get the content out. That's rough. And develop the product. I mean, that. How many employees? Uh, where we got 35, 36. Yeah, we just hired on a new one. And so that Skelly truck that you see back there, we made a pivot in how we we're going to do the frame structure and decided that we wanted to showcase the frame so you could actually like see inside it, see the working mm. parts, see the digital mirrors, all the mechanisms, and really take transparency to another level. Mm. So we pivoted four weeks ago, completely scrapped the frame and built that in-house from scratch, literally on a plasma cutter, welders, grinders, Mark, myself, the fab team, we're on there just grinding away. I've still got like stains on this shirt (laughs) from rolling rolling around on the ground and uh, in oil and everything else to get this thing out. I mean, everybody absolutely shifted into another gear, found another level and then did it again and did it again. Like I said, until midnight last night, up until the minute that we closed, I had guys here working on that thing, splitting atoms, trying to figure out how to get that thing optimized and generate more content. What led you to Atlas? Because, I mean, I saw that, you know, you had a pretty nice job at, you know, Tesla or, you know, somewhere else before. What what made you go, you know what, uh, I, I want to stay up late nights again. I want to absolutely break my back over the next couple of years what what made you what what inspired you to make the jump yeah uh lots uh, there's a lot of things in that that kind of led up to it as as i was kind of nearing the horizon at tesla which it, i didn't know but i was moving into these uh i advanced fairly quickly and essentially i usually say it's because i was too stupid to say no <laughs> uh elon holds a hard line and uh you've got to deliver and at some point, what you've got to deliver on exceeds either your abilities or your willingness to put in the effort. Mm-hmm. And that's not, it's actually, it sounds negative, but it's actually not wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, to give you an idea, when I jumped into model S and X, uh, that was kind of going sideways. Initially, uh, we were, we rolled model X into model S and tried to manufacture it on the same line. Wow. And so the maintenance group, the kind of the, the, uh, the robotics technicians that keep everything going is the ones who keep it going. And mm. they were starting to struggle. There's a high attrition rate at the time. I was leading a team up in the battery uh, on on the second floor. And we were able to kind of turn around uh, a team that was low performing up there as compared to the other shifts. And my boss from there had gone down to help Model X a couple weeks later, asked me if I was willing to come down there. And he says, I don't know if you want to take this opportunity. The last six guys uh, got canned. Oh, uh, wow. And so what I did, and they didn't know this at the time because I was afraid of what it might do, uh, do career-wise, but I built a, uh, a tiny home in a 6 by 10 trailer and lived in the parking lot and just committed every <laughs> last <laughs> minute I had. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so nobody in there knew, including including Elon. So when you get the when you get the two AM text from Elon that says, What the hell? Why is your equipment not working? And then you show up ten minutes later. Right? He's like, Oh, you live close. You're like, Yeah, I'm close. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Man. Yeah. So that, that's that's what it took. I had the I had the realization that mm. I wasn't I wasn't any smarter, any more capable, and I was less experienced than every single individual that went before me in that role. Mm. The one thing that I had that they didn't is I didn't have a family life that I had to worry about. Mm-hmm. I could mm. commit 100% and be there. So when there's a problem, five, 10 minutes, I'm in the plant, I can solve it, go back to bed and just boom, do that for uh, seven months, I think it took to finally get that clipping along. Wow. That's... And that was just SNX. That was before Model 3 went into production hell, right? Yeah, yeah, that was my that was Model X. In that same time, I Jeez. built the uh, the Model Three sustaining team. So, the maintenance, the technicians that run all the robotics and keep Model Three going. So we scaled the team of twenty six that was running Model S and X, which needed to be fifty to give you an idea of the attrition rate. Yeah, we scaled that to fifty and then built it to hundred and fifty. So I had a hundred technicians trained up when we rolled model three. So I could shift all of them over to model three. We brought another manager down from the battery team to run model three and handed him that team that we built. And then I stayed over on S and X. Then when model three went a little bit sideways, my boss basically sat me down and said, Hey, we need someone to fix it. And they probably need to have some gray hair. Which you, know, you see in the flowing locks now, right? <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of mileage. Um, so literally, talked to me. It was like a Thursday at five in the evening. I'm finishing up stuff on Model SX. He sits me down. He says, "Hey, we need to make a change. We need some help over on Model 3. I'm like, "Okay, uh, who are you taking? You need Donnie. You need right." And I start going through the list. He says, "No, no, you are going to go over there and run the run this the uh, robotics engineering group for that marriage portion. If you guys are following it closely, that was a real big hang up." And wanted me to go over and head that up and get it working. Fucked me up next morning, 7 a.m. I was on Model 3. I handed all my uh, work over to uh, Jill, who absolutely killed it after I left. Uh, she was super capable. And uh, I just dropped it in her lap and said, okay, here you go. I got to go do Model 3, which is pretty typical Tesla. Are you going to be heading manufacturing yeah. as well whenever you go to... or? whenever Atlas moves on to the manufacturing side? Yep. Are you going to expect yeah, the same type of rigor that Elon does? Like, are you going to have tents outside for your, your technicians to come in and... Well, tiny homes. Tiny homes, tiny homes I'm thinks. sorry. Are you going to yeah. build the tiny homes for them, though? In this case? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the tent, right, was a very interesting thing. And uh, mm. with the tent... And I don't know how much detail you guys know about that. What I think is the most impressive is that tent was built from throwaway parts from Model 3. So, <laughs> yeah, all the parts. The yeah, tent we built the structure of the and, tent itself. No, 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 no. No, the, the equipment oh, okay. that they use inside the tent. So oh, the tent's okay. just, a, just a sprung tent yeah, that like, you can lease or buy. No, and so the, the manufacturing equipment that was in there was all the manufacturing equipment we ripped out. That wasn't where it just took too long to develop, mm-hmm. right? So Elon went through and just said, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. It hasn't been working in nine months. You lost your chance. Mm-hmm. Literally just threw it in a pile out back. And then we got that. Uh, then we got Model 3 once we cleared out all that complexity. We got that to uh, up to its max that we could with that particular equipment and mm-hmm. then built uh, the tent line with just the equipment we threw away. So... We were able to get there and we eventually put the performance model out in the tent and then ran model three after we cleaned it up and simplified it 
I mean, wow. you know, what Elon wanted, right, was the machine building the machine. Yeah, right. And so there's a, there's a bit of give and take. It's not a question of how automated you want it. It's yeah. how much mm-hmm. time are you willing to spend on it and how much money are you willing to spend on it. Yeah. So Elon didn't have any problem spending money on it, but he didn't want to spend any more time on it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because cu- customer confidence is actually one of the most valuable things, even from a manufacturing perspective. If no one's buying it, I can't make it. Yeah, that right. is that is right. true. So you, you saw a lot of evolution, obviously, at your time with Tesla. So how has it been in, I think you've been with Atlas uh, about a year or so. How have you seen the, the evolution of Atlas um, just over that time period? Yeah, over the year, it's, I think when I joined, there was 15 or so people. They had just moved out of Mark's garage into this facility. So I think they'd been here a couple of weeks when I joined. Uh, it's It's been incredible in that this such a small team had done so much, right, with with very little experience, the team is super young, you know, and, and, and Mark is a, as a very capable engineer and his, his ability to execute design and dream about what this vehicle should be far exceeds what his experience would indicate. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So he, he's on another level. There's a lot of aspects of him that remind me of Elon. Really? I'll say all the, all the good ones, right? All the and good so, ones. <laughs> yeah. And, I don't, I don't presume to know what it's like to, to bear the weight uh, that Elon bears or bear the weight that Mark does. I do think that someday uh, that's the next step for me, right, is to say, okay, I'm, I've been pushing inside people's shadows. It's probably at some point time for me to step out and then make my level of, of impact. Everything that I had this realization, let's say a few years ago, where I realized, I finally realized the why, right, the thing mm-hmm. that, that I think wants to drive me. And it's a, it's a very simple, uh, I guess, statement or phrase, but I want to free the world, right? Which sounds very subjective. Yeah. But I started looking at like all the turmoil and discrimination and everything all over the, we see all over the world in, in countries and everything ties back to access to energy. And that was kind of that click point that I realized that if you took, let's say the poorest kid in Rwanda, right? Living out in a village, having to go collect water and bring it back you gave him un, unlimited access to the same amount of energy, how many geniuses, how many Elons, how many Nikola mm. Teslas would the world then generate? Like, those are, like Elon is, is special and, and Nikola Tesla is special because the stars aligned and allowed the appropriate resources to allow them to live within their genius. Yeah. So I, I believe that right. if you took anybody and you plug them into Elon's circumstances, not taking anything away from Elon, but if you plug somebody in there and give them that level of resource and that drive, and what, 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 where people get that drive, right, is that passion, that thing you care about. It doesn't have to be electric vehicles, right? It could be world hunger. It could be a mouse, right? Mm-hmm. If you're that passionate about it, you'll have that drive. And then if it gave you seemingly endless amount of resources, what, what would happen? What could you do? Mm-hmm. And I think at the point that we, that we allow everyone to have free and easy access to energy, that, that mankind what- skips level. What technology do you think is going to bring us there? I think it's a, it's got to be a combination. Right? I don't think there's a golden bullet. Yeah. Um, I think when I look at things like uh, how we generate power, whether it's nuclear or, or solar or wind, we're trying very, very hard, right? It's brute force. Every single energy solution that we have is brute force. And I think that's the typical human condition, right? Is we resist nature mm-hmm. and we, we force our will upon it. Uh, hmm. which is, it's a fool's errand, right? Uh, I think nature just laughs at us and then provides those roadblocks. <laughs> and so, 
so it's when I think when we finally realize as a civilization that there's a little bit, not a little bit, there's a lot of it uh, of a harmonious nature by which that we should be kind of living with nature and figuring that out. Like on the on the nuke side, uh, I remember very uh, clearly I was on the boat maybe three or four months. If I finally got qualified to to babysit the reactor, be the on-shift uh, engineering laboratory tech, which is the chemist that essentially pulls samples in the middle of the night. And I'm sitting there, most everybody's uh, is sleeping, just a few folks working overnight. When you when you pull samples off the reactor, you do it in the middle of the night, so mm -hmm. you limit the amount of people that are potentially exposed, right? Mm -hmm. And so, super quiet, you just have the hum and the harmonics of the engine room as we're punching holes in the ocean. And it's had that moment where it was, it's it was it's a bit ethereal, but I was sitting on the other side of the shielding, and it felt like the power of God was contained in this can because it allowed us to hold it there. That's right? an that interesting. Was, uh, that's an interesting that way was, to put it. Yeah, it just impacted me it. on a spiritual <laughs> on a spiritual level. Just sitting there is like that that dragon is only in that can because it wants to be. And so I'm not sure that that is the long term solution for mankind. I think it's a great stopgap from the direction that we're currently kind of, well, I should say it. I think the world is kind of coming to that more harmonious uh, relationship. But if we really wanted to go toward this lower emissions path, if we decide that as a civilization, that's where we want to go. I think nuclear power is the, is the one and only technology that we currently have available that would allow us to cut off of that, yeah. at least from a fossil fuel perspective, and then use that time to develop that next, that next piece. Because I would love to go away from nuclear as well in your opinion what is the next what's the next piece what is the ultimate holy grail of of gathering energy yeah and so that's a very difficult question right i think that uh our relationship with, with gravity and harmonics uh just around the globe if we look at the planet how much power does the planet seemingly pull in and generate mm -hmm. and flow through right. this thing is a massive powerhouse it generates more energy than we would ever need Right. Uh, and so how, how is it that we create a harmonious relationship with the planet, with the normal processes that exist here uh, to generate power so that we can provide all of that access? The other aspect is how do we how do we use less but still have the same output? Right. There's an optimization. We've been doing that, albeit maybe I'm impatient. I usually say that patience is the virtue I don't have time for. <laughs> um, we keep we keep driving to that. And it's that efficiency bit. So. How can we still maximize that output and, and convert our potential, right? Breathe life into things, whether it's it's art or engineering, but do so consuming less energy, but still have the same output, which is really the fundamental thing to everything we're doing engineering-wise, manufacturing-wise. You try to limit the amount of resources you use up and maximize the output. I mean, that's that's the human condition, add value, and, and however you, you derive that. So I think there's some aspect of... of I'm really interested in electromagnetism and gravity and really understanding those. There's still, there's still some mysticism left there. There's still some magic left there. Magic, right, is just science yet, yet to be completely defined. Mm -hmm. And we have some concepts of how all of these things work, but I think it's the surface level. Have you looked into small modular reactors at all? Yeah. What do you yeah, think absolutely. about them? There's uh, I, I think it's a really, uh, really neat idea. I still, I believe it's far safer than all of the other ways that we, uh, you know, we're, we're riding explosions down the highway, which I enjoy good <laughs> muscle cars much as anybody else. And there's something, uh, you know, very, very big in the American culture, but even worldwide is the fact that we're harnessing an explosion 
and uh, we've we've got our bridle on and we're we're along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of I'm trying to remember where I picked this up. I think it was in a book where someone was talking about the 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 number one invention of mankind, and everyone assume everyone assumes for it to be the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really. It was the yoke. It was the first time we converted power hmm. to elicit a, a, a different response out of that, or to then huh. generate more value, right? It was the minute that we took the yoke and we put it on a beast of burden, and then we plowed a field, or then we hauled our goods into town, or we are. That's where we actually added value by harnessing another power source, ah. and that is really what set us off on the path that we are now, right? Just starting a fire. It you know keeps us warm, and we're harnessing energy to some degree, but that has uh, a critical mass. So but once I harness up an animal, I can then control C, control V, right, and complete yeah. that, get more power, get more power. And I think that path is really what allowed mankind to then explode to the industrial revolution and to where we are now. Is so, really understanding that. So the biggest thing from humanity is not the fire; it's the conversion of energy. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Conversion of energy, energy slash, let's say, an earlier access to it. So speaking of uh, energy, you, you have the, the XT Skeletruck behind you on the XP platform. Where do you get started with, uh, with an, an electric vehicle platform? How, how, how do you get that going? Yeah, so, uh, and this is where the Simon Sinek quote, right, begin with the end in mind. This is where everybody mm-hmm. misses the ball, I think, on EVs, uh, is you define what the EV will be, and then you build to that. And that was the genius that Mark brought to this is every other experience that I've seen and people that I've talked to in the industry, you start stacking parts together and you see what, a, what it'll output. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of there's the man, the myth himself. Yeah. We um, actually had him in uh, not so long we, ago. We yeah. yeah. Oh, perfect. And uh, where was I going with this? I just spaced it. Uh, basically oh, sorry, designing with the end in mind. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So he said, these are the non-negotiables. It will travel 500 miles. It will charge in 15 minutes. Right? And he set all these markets. There's, there's a long list of requirements that we have to meet. And then we're driving to that. If, it, if it's not going to meet it, the minute that we, that we identify that the path we're on will not get us to that point, we cut it off just like a cancer. Just cut it out, throw it aside, come up with a new path. So that's what with Skelly Truck, we decided that one of our key uh, core values here is transparency. Mm-hmm. And let's take that all the way into the engineering side and let's pull all the, pull all the uh, shrouds off and just show what this could look like. And so it's, it's defining those. So having spent the last seven years in electric vehicles and looking at it, I can confidently say that no electric vehicle actually solves a problem. Really? It's a step in the right direction. But okay. what is it? Can you, can you come up with a problem that it solves? Like in, in an individual person a consumer's life what drives someone to buy something right is it solved the gas the station anymore there's i'm a problem solved <laughs> <laughs> right so if, if you absolutely hate gas stations i guess uh, that that could be the case but if you look at it they they tend to uh cost more to acquire they cost more to maintain um take specialty maintenance to maintain that it costs you more to maintain those and it takes more of your time in, in, in the form of charging, right? I will give it one, one piece that maybe it's not a solution, but it, it maybe adds some value is I've never been able to fill up my truck at home, right? <laughs> so that's a, that's a neat perk, but I bucket that into heated seats and, and cup holders, right? So that's, that's a nice to have, but the infrastructure's there. 
we're all used to it driving home you're like oh i'm down below a quarter tank let me swing into the gas station 10 15 minutes you're back on your path well that's not a thing anymore right with the electric vehicle if i'm going somewhere and i need to swing in real quick uh, i have to commit a certain amount of time just to get that charging Mm-hmm. And one piece that really drives that you have you kind of have a minimum barrier of entry when it comes to time on charge, because there's there's a thing called preconditioning and post conditioning that happens at, before and after the charge. You have to prep that vehicle to appropriately charge. Otherwise, you're going to degrade the batteries by not having that ideal condition. Mm-hmm. That's another big piece that we have here that we've been driving is tying all that in so that 15 minutes you can charge 500 miles from zero to 100 percent which means we've actually tucked in the pre and post conditioning into that 15 minutes. So actual time on charge is less than 10 minutes. So we say 15 minutes, but it's actually far more impressive because we're, we're bucketing that together. And so essentially you pull in and let me paint the other picture. And I, I don't want to throw too much shade at Tesla. It's not what I'm doing. Right. They, <laughs> they're, they're the shoulders by which we're standing on to be able to do this. Had, had Elon not done what he did, I would have never got into EV. I likely wouldn't have inspired Mark to chase that either. And so 100% we're standing on those shoulders. So when you, when you take something like your Model S and you're, you're going down the highway and then you realize, oh, I need to charge and you pull off and you plug in, well, you've got to wait for that preconditioning to get to that particular level. Then you get on charge and then it ramps up to a particular point. At this point, you're at like 20, 30 minutes already and you've got very little charge and then you're holding it at that ideal point and now you really start charging. So today's way, Tesla today today Tesla though does a pre a pre-charge before you pull up. So yeah. You know, like, if right. you if you have it scheduled. Right, but you have to have it scheduled. So this adds work to your list. This adds another thing to your list that you don't have to do with internal combustion. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where everybody's missing it on EVs. They're like, oh, it drives on electrons, therefore it's better. Is it though? And it's I don't think that it is yet. And we've been doing this, I think, long enough that someone needs to start thinking about the customer and mm-hmm. less about how cool we can make the product. And Mark is the first person uh, that I see talk about that is understanding it's about the customer experience. And he, he gets this from Axon, right? He learned this the hard way with doing tasers and things like that in law enforcement, a very uh, demanding, high stress job. It wasn't until he goes out and spends time with these guys out in the field and gals and says, no, no, hang on. This isn't actually making, the, it's adding complexity. It's one extra thing that they have to do that they got enough to worry about they don't need to worry about all this technology. It just needs to work and it just needs to plug in and that's it. And mm-hmm. so he's bringing that same thought process here to Atlas. I think it's what's going to make that fundamental difference in industry and mankind. Like this is that first shift, that first step in the right direction. We're actually using EVs to solve problems. So do you look at like all the, le- a lot of people like to call them legacy auto, but like, you know, Volkswagen, Ford, do you look at their electric vehicles and go, I'm disappointed, or do you see hope in any way? Uh, both. Um, so we can't expect the big OEMs to move quickly, mm-hmm. right? They don't do that. They're they're that. Uh, you ever heard that? Like how how long or how far it takes like a aircraft carrier to turn around, right? right. It's it's miles yeah. to take something yeah. that large, that much mass. So for their right. for their relative output, they have tons of output. But trying to shift all of those resources at the same time to appropriately execute, it's, it's not going to happen, right? Atlas will be able mm-hmm. to move far faster. I mean, Elon proved that with Tesla, mm-hmm. right? We don't, have, we don't have all of these things that we're married to, all these contracts, all these facilities. We're able to move very quickly in the, in the appropriate direction. If you look at Henry Ford in the beginning, 
he was able to move very quickly, right? And figure things out and drive it through and bring, you know, bring forth all of those models. But as it grows in, in complexity, and, and this goes back right to the art of war, it talks about when an army gets to a particular size, it becomes unwieldy and hard to manage. And so then you kind of have to bifurcate it down into these smaller units. And that's really what led to the, how, how the militaries across the world are, are built. You've got to keep it small and agile so you can still execute. So these big OEMs, they've had uh, essentially a stranglehold on the automobile industry. And we're kind of just held to whatever they output. And if you look out in any parking lot, I'm a car guy. And if I'm standing more than 50, 60 feet away, all these cars pretty much look the same. They do. Right. It doesn't matter if it's right. Toyota, GM, Ford. And that's just an indication of the slow moving, that's these small iterative changes. If you gave one company, and like Tesla's a perfect example, you give one company and just let them do whatever the hell they want. You see all this innovation come out of it. It's not that the people at Ford, GM, Toyota, Honda are 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 bad or stupid or slow. It's the it's the feedback mechanism that exists currently that propagates that kind of business behavior. So I do think that the big OEMs uh, are are a bit of a thing of the past, and I do think they're going to start to struggle over the next twenty years to be relevant. That is and true. What, what I hope is that they figure that out. And because we see like big conglomerates like Volkswagen basically owns everybody at this point in Europe, right? But right. it's this big, slow organization. They have tons of resources, but it's not very optimized. There's a ton of waste in there with, with that many layers in the, like engineering and uh, manufacturing. So I think small and nimble and decentralized on all levels is the new path going forward. Do you think the dealership? Uh, model is going to be what kills a lot of these legacy. Uh, auto yeah, code. yeah, it's it's one of many things that that absolutely needs to change. It's something that doesn't serve the customer. Yeah. Right? To my earlier point, is all these things customers are getting smarter, right? We're so we're getting access more and more access to energy in the form of information, right? Which is kind of like energy in the larva state. Mm -hmm. And so people are becoming more uh, more and more intelligent about how the world works, and they see this and they're like, wait a minute, like what does this dealership? What, what does it actually bring me other than frustration, right? Who, who likes taking their vehicle to the dealership? Almost no yeah. one. Yeah, right. no one. Right. You, you, you know that you're going to pay through the nose for whatever maintenance that you need done. It's not going to be done very quickly. They're they don't sell you unnecessary stuff. Sell you unnecessary stuff. They, they're not there to really serve you, and it's not them, right? It's this feedback loop that's there. That's not how their bread is buttered. It's, yeah, the customer is is a very small piece of that overall equation. Once they get you in the door, they've checked that. Once they have your vehicle, that's the second check mark. Now they don't need you, right? Yeah, they don't. They have that vehicle. They they need you to pay the bill, but at that point, they have the vehicle, right? They have your collateral, and so it's it's not an advantageous scenario for the customer. And that on I don't care, pick your business. That's what's going to drive success going forward with so many intelligent people across the world because of our access to information. People are just not going to accept that. And I think the following behind Atlas, over 50,000 pre-orders on on, in a company that no one's ever heard of, uh, is a huge indicator of what the rest of uh, society will come forward with. Wait a minute, I don't have to do this dealership thing like Tesla, right, was yep. the initial yeah. concept. This is stupid. Like, why are we doing this? And we're, exactly. we're following right in behind them and say, yeah, you're 100% right. We're going to do the same thing. There's no reason, there's no reason that most, well, this is another engineering piece that we're bringing, 
there's no reason that all this maintenance needs to happen in brick and mortar. Like we should be designing this so that it's yeah. simple to maintain and easy to maintain. So we're driving it so that 80 plus percent of this thing can be maintained on the side of the road and everything down to the a full battery swap, which is over 3000 pounds for us because it's such a big battery. 3000 pounds. That's a, yeah, it's a monster. That I mean, is... That's a big truck. Right. And it's going to do a lot, you know, 35,000 pound tow capacity, 5,000 pound payload. It's, it's set up to do real work. And if you want to do real work, you got to hold some real energy. So, so we're, yeah. we're setting it up to do a 20 minute swap on, on a, over 3000 pound battery is the swap is that for because of something went wrong or you're planning on battery swaps because it gets the truck on the road faster now we under we here at atlas we understand that all equipment fails and especially work equipment gets abused these guys are tired of hearing me it's like if it's a flat spot it's a step there is there is no step right there is no there is no step anywhere in the vehicle if it's even remotely horizontal someone's going to step on it and if it's vertical, it's a handle. And you're going to have a 300-pound construction worker <laughs> yank on the side of that digital display to pull himself into the, into the vehicle. Everything is, everything is a step. Everything is a handle. It needs to be built like that. <laughs> I like that. So I like that, we, that is cool. We, under, we understand this truck is going to be out in the mines. It's going to be out in the logging camps. Frankly, what it does mm -hmm. on the road, that's the easy solve. We've done that. No, no one's made a super reliable vehicle out, you know, out in the field. There's a few trucks versions of the, uh, those di the diesel generations, like the first gen, second gen Dodge diesels. I think it's the 97, the 2002 uh, uh, Ford Power Stroke. Like these are those million mile motors. Mm -hmm. The feedback mechanism though, that currently exists, the big OEMs and the dealership model, uh, there's no value in having a million mile motor. Yeah, there's not. Right? Mm -hmm. There's a ton of value for them to have that feedback mechanism that allows them to generate loads of revenue from the service side. Mm -hmm. So having a super reliable vehicle is disadvantageous, which right. is why I think they shift away from that. I don't think that they're sitting in a boardroom maniacally saying like, hmm, engineered obsolescence. <laughs> um, but that feedback loop is what is what drives them toward that. There's no motivation to make it better, right? Because they're like, hey, yeah. we'd kill our service industry. No, there's only motivation to generate that revenue. There's a quote that I pulled when I was doing my MBA at University of Denver that they said was this, we believe that doing good is doing good business, right? Good business is doing good. And if a business exists, it must generate revenue, right? It's, it's got to add value for it to exist. I'm not saying that's any kind of evil piece, but I believe that's a secondary piece to, to the impact. I think that is just a physical re representation of the value that you've added to a thing or to a person's life is what that is an indicator of. So if you chase that in and of itself, I think you're 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 meant for failure. You're 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 meant to fade into obscurity or into mediocrity if that is what you're chasing. But if you're chasing impact and what's the value that I can add, then the value will continue to flow. As long as you're monetizing that value. <laughs> yeah, just or I should say it doesn't necessarily have to be monetizing, right? It's that you're pulling some form of value out of it. Okay. You know, it is yeah. the time now, granted, our, our particular structure on the planet, right? We trade dollars. That's our medium of exchange, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be that, right? Time is really the most valuable thing that we all have. Uh, not to start going down the philosophical uh, rabbit hole. Yeah, it's all but right. Really, really, that's what you money are is. Jesus, right? I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Getting back on to Atlas, right? 
tell us a little bit more about the XP platform. Like, what is the XP platform's intended use? Because, honestly, I've been wanting to build an electric uh, van. Like, you, you see those people that, like, get a van, and then they, like, strip everything out, and they have, like... Yeah, the van life, yeah. Yeah, van, van life, van just blower. to be able to, you know, drive around, see what's up. Do you think XP platform would be perfect for that? I absolutely do. Um, so, the, the platform was built with the work segment in mind. Okay. And so the idea is that you could take this platform and plug and play whatever solution you want on it. So right now, as it stands, we've been approached around like electrifying Humvees, street sweepers, dump trucks, buses, bucket trucks. These are all real world examples that I've had conversations about our ability to kind of engineer to meet that. Thing is, I have to do very little to this platform in order to do that. You'll have to do more to the body that that you want in order to mate it on there because whatever you're using to convert is ICE. Mm. Modern vehicle is built the way it is because it's internal combustion. So what we're seeing with Tesla and Cybertruck, whether you love or hate it, uh, it's we're not held to the same requirements. We're not held yeah. to that same yeah. box because of, of the internal combustion engine. And so I think you're going to drastically see how we go about doing vehicles to drastically change. Like we're doing steer by wire, brake by wire, which means I can put the cab wherever I want. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to be on the platform. There is no, no easier vehicle to make autonomous, right? And so one yeah. of the thought experiments that, that I've kind of driven down and had a, a realization is that you could have one person sitting up on a loading, let's say a, a shipping dock with kind of a crow's nest bird's eye view. This individual can be driving multiple vehicles and like moving this, loading this container, moving that, moving this container. And you won't have a single human down in that shipping uh, shipping area, which is, you know, a fairly dangerous area. Things moving back and forth, mm -hmm. lots of heavy loads. You can actually pull everybody out of that if you go with a full by wire type solution. So you're going to end up selling these like skateboards? Yeah, to, absolutely. To yeah, this is the true EV Swiss Army knife. You throw whatever you want on top of it and we'll provide a full suite of uh, user experience solutions. So center display, digital dash, electronic mirrors, steering wheel and pedals, all uh, by wire systems. And it sounds kind of crazy until you realize that aviation, which is far more complex application, is all by wire. Right. And that was really that was kind of a piece. Yeah, absolutely. So you get into modern uh, helicopters, which I have some background in. It's where I kind of I try to bring some of that uh, in yeah. to say, hey, I know that uh, I can fly a helicopter all by wire and it can hover and hold itself in position, which is from a physics perspective is one of the hardest things for a pilot to do. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I like to describe it, flying a helicopter is like standing on a basketball, rubbing your stomach, patting your head, chewing your gum and, and turning your head because you're in, in a helicopter, you're moving. You have to move every component at the same time while you're holding that. Hand. And I'll kind of give you a, a quick example. It's a bit of a daisy chain. So you have your pedals left and right, right? Yeah. That controls your tail rotor and that spins you about, but you're swinging from one kind of pendulum in the middle, right? Yeah. So all of your power is generated from that one center point. So if I pull power away to run a tail rotor, I pull power away mm -hmm. from the rotor. So if I jam the, the pedal, the main rotor is going to slow down, which means it's going to fall, fall, which means in order to go back up, I've got to pull, mm -hmm. I got to pull up the collective, oh, which geez. gives me more pitch, right? To take a bigger bite of the air. But what does that do? I'm taking a bigger bite of the air, so therefore it slows it down. So I'm going to fall a little bit. So I've got to roll on the throttle 
in order to speed up the main rotor. But when I do that, that applies a massive amount of torque in a direction. So I have to hit a different pedal to then reorient it. So you can see where you'll never catch up because every control changes the parameters. So when you, I'll exaggerate a little so you can see it on camera, but when you have a, a pilot flying, he's, if you got a helicopter pilot hovering, he's moving this, uh, the cyclic, which is between his legs, which mm. controls the plane of the main rotor. He's moving that no more than a thickness of a dime, but he's never not moving it. He's not just holding it in position. He's constantly moving it and then going up and down here, rolling throttle on and off if you don't have a governor, and then working the pedals underneath constantly. Hovering is the hardest thing you can do in a helicopter. Computer software gets better and coding gets better. Uh, do you think we are going to be able to make that like really easy to do through? Yeah. So right now, modern, uh, modern autopilot systems can hover a helicopter and okay. hold it in position at a particular height. We're already there. Okay. The reason why you see this kind of, I think this takeoff with drones is one, it's a, it's a bit more efficient to have that kind of separated. But if you have uh, rotors that are counteracting each other's torque, you get a more stable platform. So everything that I described to you from helicopters from a single rotor, mm -hmm. and that's what makes it really complicated to fly. Once you go dual rotor with coaxial spin, right, it cancels out that. Uh, that torque, torque you're yeah. getting it equally in, bo in both directions. Now it makes it significantly more stable. So you see like a Chinook has that going on, right? Where they're rolling in opposite directions. So you, you uh, counterbalance that torque. And then the uh, Sikorsky X2, which then, then they formed in the X2 Raider has the same thing, coaxial blades. So they're like, hey, we don't need a tail rotor. We can put a push prop on this thing and actually get some insane helicopter speeds out of it. That's nuts. On, on Sean's question about skateboard and all that, I, I think it was almost a year ago at this point, but you had this one design of the, the XT as a military spec vehicle where it had these kind of like metal doors with the, you know, the canvas and whatnot. Do you still plan to get into um, anything military related or being able to, uh, the right word is probably not Jeepify, but like Jeepify the XT, take off the doors, the, uh, the, the, the roof. Yeah. I mean, the, the, frankly, the XT is just a body, right? And so we could put whatever we want on that. And absolutely, we have desires of getting into all aspects of human mobility, both in a military perspective. And that should be an ex-military. I would love to move some of this technology over to kind of support the troops and provide a better technology solution, keep them safer, and ideally get them off the battlefield altogether. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think with the level of technology that we're at today, it's a bit of a travesty that we still got people humping rifles up and down hills. Right. Uh, but these are some hard, uh, hard problems to to solve and. Uh, the human is the most versatile machine that we've ever seen, right? And so it can handle, you know, all kinds of different terrains and go in there and really execute and make decisions that we're still working on. And, you know, with AI and everything that's coming forward, I think we'll get there for sure. But I would, I would love to add value on that front, though it's a smaller kind of subsection of the, of the bigger piece and ecosystem that we're trying to create. Uh, I have, you know, my own little personal quest to make things better and safer for those guys that are out there. It's not an easy, it's not an easy thing for them to do. So let's just switch gears just a little bit. So the hardest thing I think with any EV is like the charging network. And I, and yep. I, I own two myself. We all own a Tesla here, but it's it's like the hardest thing traveling back and forth. And also I, I read that you guys are using CS, CCS. Is that still the plan? Is there like a nationwide, you know, any kind of partnerships or anything like news you can drop or what, what's all going on with charging? Uh, not on the charging side. We are working on that, right? And I think that the moment in the EV space when we all start playing together is where we actually start getting somewhere. Right now, everybody's trying to like protect their little piece of it, right? And what it's what it's doing is it's slowing our progress as a civilization. Yeah, it hurts everybody. Yeah. Right. And so, 
CCS sucks. I'm just going to put it. Right? Yeah. It's, um, it's even, even where it is now with 3.0, it's already obsolete. So you can, you can put this in the book of predictions. In five years, they're going to have to rip all that stuff out and be going with megawatt charging, which is the path that we're going, right? So what's driven a lot here at Atlas is looking at what's currently available, realizing it's not good enough, and then developing our own. That's how we end up developing a cell. That's how we end up developing 1.5 megawatt charging. All those things need to exist as we start to actually replace the ICEs that are out there. Mm -hmm. We need to then swap out that infrastructure. If you look at the, the gas station infrastructure, right? It's fast. It's wide. There's many options. Uh, you know, when was the last time you were running out of gas and you were worried that you weren't going to hit a station? Right. It's right. probably because you were just being a little bit irresponsible, and there's still a gas station there to kind of pull you out of it for making some bad decisions. Yeah. Whereas the EV kind of forces you. It's like, okay, hang on, I got to plan this out. I got to make sure I'm going to be able to charge. Otherwise, I'm going to be stranded, especially if I'm dependent on CCS to charge my rig. Especially <laughs> if you got something like a Model S, right, with a big old battery in there. Uh, that's happened to me. Uh, driving, like we go, uh, going to a show, I was driving the, uh, one of the corporate Model X's down to San Diego. It was super annoying the number of times I had to stop. And then I'd go at the show and talk positively about Model X, right? <laughs> uh, just lots of, there's lots of aspects that are really good about it, of course. But those are some of those pieces that I think fed into the value that I'm going to bring to Atlas or the scars that I'm bringing to try to solve that. Mm -hmm. So the infrastructure is key not just in charging, but also in service, which we kind of alluded to. That's why I think this decentralized mobile service that we're gonna bring is the way to do this. Uh, but you have to develop both, the service support, the charging support, all in consort with your production. You can't roll a vehicle to a customer that they then can't use because the infrastructure doesn't exist to support the use of that. Rivian. Yeah, I, cri yeah. I criticize <laughs> this all the time on Twitter. In fact, Elon replied to me the, a few weeks ago about even criticizing the supercharger network, you know, because it's mm -hmm. like that's you can't put the cart before the, fo the horse. You got to have the charging network before you try to sell this to people in the Midwest that are going to buy these. Then they realize they can't drive from Cincinnati to, to Indianapolis, you know, otherwise, yeah. unless they're going to charge somewhere downtown Indy, that's a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, the Midwest, especially, those are driving states. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. you can't survive off public transportation in a lot of those spaces. But you've got maybe a good three to five miles in the bigger cities that you can travel using public. But outside of that, you've got to be able to get some distance. And 100%, the the infrastructure needs to be there. And a big limiter that's there is actually on the supply side from the energy companies. Yet another very large, extremely slow moving entity that is in a lot of cases, even for us, like 1.5 megawatt, there are places that we need to put these chargers that the, the local municipalities or utility companies don't have the ability to even supply it. So we've had to come up with actually some engineering solutions around that so that we can yeah. land these stations in places that actually don't have the support to charge at the rate that our vehicle is going to charge at and that every vehicle in the next five to 10 years is gonna have to charge at those rates. Once, once we break this out and people see, I only have to wait 15 minutes on this big old truck to charge for 500 miles worth of range. It's like, why am I spending 45 minutes on my Model S, right? It's going to force people to do things different. And this and is then we have some real competition too in the game. 100%. And it's, it's a little bit of accountability, right? What we've all done is said, oh, Elon's a genius. He's decided that this is the best charging that we can uh, aspire to. And then everyone stopped looking. Right. Everyone's just trying to get to where Tesla is. I don't yeah, see anyone trying so to to exceed right. that. Part of why part of why Tesla is limited the way they are. When I first started at Tesla, I was in the battery side, is 
we're you we're using those original like 18650 laptop batteries right mm -hmm. that's what it is like the laptop that i'm talking to you on likely has a row of 18650 and then you go into like a model s and you have 8500 of those Mm -hmm. yeah. And so the big piece that we really drive is that thermal management, right? That's very hard to cool that. So if you know how like a cylindrical cell is built, yeah, right? You get anode, cathode, separators, and it's like, they call it a jelly roll, right? And it's just mm -hmm. this spiral. Then they throw it in a can. Well, that separator is an insulator, right? Because you don't want your anode cathode to, to contact. Well, an insulator does what? It doesn't allow energy to flow. And that's true with heat as well. So when you look at a, a typical cylindrical cell, you can see upwards of 15 degree uh, Celsius delta from edge to, to core. So it's very easy to pull that heat from the edge, right? I can get something right, right up next to that, pull that. But how do I pull that heat all the way through all those layers of separator and then back out? That's difficult. And that's the big limiter. You can charge a battery as fast as you want. Can you keep it from turning into a puddle during the process? Right? right. That's really the big question. So that's where we really have a, a big leg up. We have a ton of IP around actually solving the problem, which is I put more electrons in, I generate more heat. If I can control that heat, I can put more electrons in. That was one of the questions I was going to ask. Is that why you guys went with a rectangular uh, cell shape rather than cylindrical? Oh, well, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons, right? So if you think about, um, you, could, you could probably do this now on your own desks where you have a couple of like pencil holders, things like that. You stack cylinders next to each other Right, you have this huge void space in there that's not being utilized. Right. Uh, you know, right. Tesla right. uses that to try to cool the cell, and they do. I mean, right now, it's what's currently available. They do, they do the best job, which is why they have the best charging rates. Mm -hmm. It's 100% why. Um, so for us, that rectangular piece, that fits in a lot better, both from mm -hmm. uh, bus bars, connectivity, and thermal management. We're allowing that to help transfer that energy in and out of the pack. So for us, it's the best use of space, therefore the most energy dense, therefore we can pull, we can build something that's most power dense. So we can, uh, by maintaining that temperature, we can get a better power density and utilize every last square inch of that space. So when we get into pouch cells and cylindrical cells, there's lots of wasted space, but a prismatic, that allows you to absolutely pack as much as you can in a given space. A little on XT. So you've changed the headlight design. I think this is the, the third uh, design change. So how do you know, uh, I guess, what, what makes you decide to make a change along the process? Because sometimes you think about it, we're so deep in, do we just stick with it? Um, but I think the first one looked a little like, kind of like the Camaro. The second one had those spaced out lines. And now you have this, um, like the, I guess, the four circle pieces. Um, is it, what, what leads to, to uh, different design change over time? Uh, what usually drives it is manufacturability, right? And so it's it's cool to make a cool design. If I only have to make one, I can spend a ton of time on the headlights and I don't have to worry about profitability, any of that. So it's likely to, to move things forward. And I think you're going to see a lot of changes on this. Like this is the one-off prototype, right? This is the proof of concept where we can touch it, feel it, drive it, and really see all these ideas that we had in the digital space, bring them into the real world and figure out where they don't work. I've never seen an idea in the digital space work in the real world 100%, right? Mm -hmm. It's never turnkey. You get into the real world, you start to learn, you, you figure out what you didn't know you didn't know, and then you make those changes. The next piece is monetize, right? I've gotta be able to monetize this. I gotta be able to manufacture at a cheap enough rate to add a particular amount of value so that people will actually buy it. And so like with the headlight specifically, that's what's really driven it is as we started, it's like, okay, this is a really cool idea how we're gonna make it. Okay, I can't do this, this, and this, let's make this change. I can't do this or this, let's make this change. Okay, now we've made one. That was a huge pain in the butt. 
now let's change this and change this. And so that's really what's going to drive that is essentially bringing it, kind of breathing life into it, bringing it into the real world is like, does this make sense? Right. Video games are fun, right? Because we can live in that, uh, in this generated reality that yeah. doesn't have, has very flexible rules. Our rules are inflexible, right? Mm -hmm. In this 3D space that we're in. So we have to figure out how to build that. I was saying as far as we know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, at least the rules of the simulation seem to be pretty hard. And can't <laughs> There's uh, not so many laws as there also are solutions out there. So. Right. So um, <laughs> you were talking about how, you know, compared to uh, internal combustion engine vehicles, the electric platform, you can do whatever you want. You can go radical with it. Why are you guys sticking to the whole uh, similar to, let's just say this. The Atlas vehicle looks a lot similar to the everyday truck that we see today compared to the Cybertruck, which just looks completely out there. Why'd you, why are you guys going for more that more traditional rather than going a little bit more extreme side? So really, it's, a, it's again, thinking about the customer, mm -hmm. right? The customer that we're chasing is the diesel truck driving, real work doing, everyday, like, spin and wrench individual, mm -hmm. right? And... I think like where the, uh, so I'm a big truck guy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I've got uncles that own ranches and uh, loggers and, and things like that. And like, I come from a good line of truck people. I'm a diesel truck driving kind of guy. I drove my diesel truck into Tesla every single day, uh, much, much to the discontent of uncle E. But um, at the end of the day, there is no Tesla solution that does what my diesel truck can do. Right. Yeah. And so, when we look at it, I'm that demographic. Mark is also that demographic. Mm -hmm. We see why we need to kind of shift toward this EV side from a whole number of reasons, but it's just better mm -hmm. altogether. Yeah. And so how do we shift arguably the most dedicated demographic from a vehicle perspective that the world has ever seen as the diesel truck driver? Mm -hmm. they're, they're not just dedicated to diesel trucks. Like try, to too, a, you know? <laughs> try to sell a GM diesel guy a Ram diesel solution, right? right exactly. give, you, give you a big middle finger and tell you why it sucks. <laughs> the truth is they're pretty much yeah. the same, right? Yeah. But there, there's no more dedicated a group. So if, if we're looking to convert people over, it needs to be similar enough where they're like, oh, yeah, this is a truck. Looks like a truck, feels like a truck, drives like a truck has all the same specifications that I'm used to, plus a little bit, because you got to make it better, yeah, right? Yeah, make it better. Yeah, got to make it better. Uh, and then as we can kind of convert over, I do think that the design of vehicles will change. And they might all end up looking like the Cybertruck. I think the thing is hideous and looks like a doorstop. But it's okay. There's like a million people that have pre-ordered that. So that's perfectly <laughs> okay. I, I, I designed and 3D printed a, a Cybertruck doorstop right after the event. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so... I don't have to like it for it to be a good product. I recognize I'm a little bit old school. I mean, when you, if you were to ask me, like, what does is, what is retirement Chris look like, right? And it's probably electrifying old classics, like doing electro mods, having a little mm. shop, and turning those. Because I think that there was, there was a level of creativity and style that existed back then before we got into this kind of negative feedback loop of iterative change that the big OEMs are. Uh, and hopefully Cybertruck, might, it might actually be that first step into like, hey, all these vehicles don't have to look the same. Yeah. We can make this look yeah. like however we want it. Yeah. And so for that, the Cybertruck is very valuable. Uh, to, and actually to an earlier question I didn't quite answer, Cybertruck was one of the reasons I left Tesla. Not that I was like, oh, this is insane. But it was clear when I saw the Cybertruck. is like, okay, this is not 
the product that I want as a truck guy. This is not a product mm -hmm. that any of my uncles or my dad would, would want as truck people. It's clear that I've got to do something about it myself. Now, a year before that, I was actually in the first crowdfunding round uh, that Atlas ever did. Just punching holes in the internet, mm -hmm. looking for EV trucks. Obviously, there was Rivian, Nicola, Bollinger. And I knew from internally that we were going to be bringing a truck out. So I was like waiting in anticipation, but uh, it was still, you know, kind of, it was getting pushed out a little bit, pushed out a little bit between Model X rollout, then Model 3 rollout, then Model Y, right? All that thing, all those things kind of started pushing that uh, out as internally as we're moving things. So I didn't have a lot of faith that was going to come anytime soon. I was looking for a, uh, a solution sooner than that. And I stumbled upon Atlas. So and I was reading about Mark and his vision. I was like, there's a high likelihood this guy's going to build an actual truck that can do real truck things. Getting onto the truck, right? I, I've recently read that GMC's, uh, the the EV Hummer truck is going to weigh 9,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. You said the XP pack was going to weigh 3,000 pounds. How much is that XT going to weigh? Between eight and 10,000, depending on how you set it up. Jesus Whoa. Christ, that's a that's a big boy. That's yeah, that, that's, that's, that's why you gotta have such a big battery. <laughs> now there's a lot there's a lot of value to be gained as we start to chisel that away and technology advances right in manufacturing methods. I think there's a huge future in composites as you start uh, kind of moving forward. Uh, there's a lot of neat stuff around even like 3D printing composites, things of that nature. Um, which a little shout out to uh, Tyler Alvarado at 3D Composites up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. They've got some insane stuff going, so you should check them out. Uh, what's uh, his name? Because we bring him on. We'll have you on, too. You yeah. geek out over it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, his name's uh, Tyler Al Alvarado. I probably should have asked him before I just throw him out there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he could deal. He's a good Idaho boy. So, uh, yeah, they're doing some, uh, some crazy stuff. I've been talking with them for a few years, and I'm super excited. The moment that we get to do a joint development, because I think that is the future of manufacturing from at least the structure's perspective. They can do a lot of crazy stuff with it. Uh, he'd definitely be a good uh, one for you guys to put put on. Real real smart guy, super capable, but also that kind of like typical Idaho boy, down to earth, no nonsense. So whenever you talk about like 3D manufacturing and printing, are you talking like uh, 3D or uh, AI optimization, or uh, what is it, topology optimization, and just like generative design to where like the computer comes up with these really organic looking optimized just for like the payload like you you go in to the computer and you say okay it's going to have this much pressure on this side this much pressure on this side and it optimizes and takes out all the unneeded material is that what you're saying uh yeah so this is actually back to an earlier point that kind of ties in here is as we start to look at nature and how it does things i use nature all the time to try to solve solutions it's like how does this happen in nature mm -hmm. We, we think as humans that we're super innovative, but if we look at nature for about five seconds, we realize they did it millions of years ago, yeah. right? <laughs> so if we use that as, as a way to kind of help guide us kind of through, I think generative design is, is the wave of the future. There's very mm -hmm. few manufacturing processes, however, that can actually make a true generative design. What Tyler's working on with 3D composites is the first thing that I've seen that has the level of flexibility that would allow you to, to essentially print via six axis robot just about any generative design. And so when when I went and saw what they were working on a few years ago, I told them straight up, I was like, I'm looking at the future of manufacturing 100%, without a doubt. So that that's the path that I see it going. That's the path that uh, I'm super excited at the point that we'll be able to do a joint development uh, project. We're not there yet uh, for Atlas, mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's the way of the future. I think manufacturing is gonna fundamentally change with 
uh, once we prove that technology out and bring generative design into uh, our space. Because we look at everything that we've done, it's very clunky, boxy, even this XT, right, is big and boxy. Part of that is trying to build a product that the client base or the consumer base is is willing to accept as a solution. But it doesn't have to look like that, right? Once we steer by wire, brake by wire, uh, and go EV, the possibilities are now actually endless of how we could actually solve things. I like the boxy design personally. I like the utilitarian kind of thing. Me too. But uh, so 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 back in you know not that long ago, you know Trevor Milton it revolutionized the industry at Nikola Motors right. with their their, their <laughs> truck. Right. I, I have to ask, like, what are your plans to put a water fountain in this truck? You know, we thought about <laughs> and we were going to take it up to the next level and do a Hawaiian punch. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. Hawaiian punch to Spencer on the side of your XT. No. With the alcohol connection so you can do one shot, double shot, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> all all very safe. from the center display, right? So it's going to intuitively intuitively sense your level of uh, inebriation. Um, <laughs> from the sweat in your finger from coming yeah. out of your hands yeah. on the stream. Oh. So, like, all, all kidding aside, right, these kinds of, like, things to add uh, to a vehicle weren't, weren't necessarily possible or the feedback loop wasn't there. So, like, sure, you know, water fountain, whatever, it's kind of a quote-unquote silly solution. But with the, it's a leading indicator of the fact that we're opening up our minds to solutions. Like, what else could be integrated, right? Think of all the things that are in your iPhone today, mm -hmm. right? If you go back 20 years, all the things that are in this phone – I don't have enough room on my desk to hold right, all the things that are now in that tiny box. Yeah. The vehicle is following the same path, right? Look at a Model S. What is it? a rolling iPad, yeah. right? Mm. I mean, it's uh, better than a PS5 in gaming, <laughs> or at least you right. can't even get a PS5. You go buy a Model S instead. Yeah, so I think where <laughs> the, the vehicle starts to go is a bit of the way of the, the smartphone, right? Of the personal device. It's going to become your rolling personal device. They already very easily integrate with each other. They're utilizing, we're looking at what, what components of a, of a smartphone can we integrate with the vehicle to add functionality to that? Because we already know that everybody's carrying these things and uses it for solutions. So there's things this phone can do that we don't have to do in that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of redundancy in current vehicle manufacturing because they're trying to do all these things that are already in here. Well, you've already got this. This is not a problem I have to solve. Why am I spending engineering millions of dollars of engineering trying to so have a solution that I would rather use Waze on my phone than, than, the, than the sat nav on a uh, any modern vehicle. Yeah, I, I really just want to profile like an app with all my settings in it. So no matter what vehicle I get in, it syncs and it knows. Like, like it sets my seat height and position, oh, yeah. my music, my ambience, whatever. You know, all the we stuff. We believe the same thing, and that's what we're working on, right? One cool. of many things. When we talk about Atlas, right? We talk a lot about the truck and the platform. Those are small pieces to the overall ecosystem that we're building. So mm -hmm. we're really driving towards that that iPhone type ecosystem that they have on the vehicle in the work segment, right? So imagine you as a fleet owner and you've got 60 XT trucks. Not only do you know where all of those are and you didn't have to add extra equipment to do that, but you also know what what potential mechanical issues they might be having. And we'll know far before that, there's leading indicators. Almost every That's single cool. failure is a high current draw mm -hmm. uh, or high heat or high vibration. That pretty much defines 99% of any potential failure that I might see in any piece of equipment even a vehicle. So we'll be able to monitor all those things and, and send those notifications. So if, as a fleet owner, if you're managing your own fleet, then you'll get all those notifications and you'll be able to handle things before catastrophic failure, which is one of the worst things mm. that could happen for piece of capital equipment. 
what are you doing for like a truck OS? Like, is it, are you guys, do you guys like in-house software developers? Is that something you're using third party for to actually develop? Like, uh, yeah. Are you so, doing an ecosystem in your truck? Yeah, so absolutely. That's, we, we have, do have a bunch of software engineers and we're trying to vertically integrate everything, right? And so when you take someone's off the shelf solution and try to plug it into your solution, it may work, but it won't really be optimized for that particular piece. So I think this is another misstep that we, that we get into is we look at all the, the development effort that it takes to do a thing from the ground up and say, okay, it's easier to just take this. It doesn't quite work in these realms. And then I have to engineer solutions to get these other functionalities out of it. And this is how we get to a complex modern day OEM vehicle with 80 plus control modules in it. It's silly that there's that many, but what it is is magic black box with tons of things we don't understand with another one, with another one, with another one to get us to some end result you could have done with the first board. Mm -hmm. So we've got to decouple from that a little bit and say, no, no, this is what this must do. And I'm not willing to jump through a bunch of hoops. Here's the other thing. If you're trying to maintain a vehicle and you've got six or seven black boxes along that path, you're not fixing anything. You're just part swapping. And now you're driving the cost of, of maintenance and manufacture up. Mm -hmm. and then you're not serving the customer. We're, uh, we're kind of coming up on an hour and 10 minutes. These questions that we're going to ask, we can we don't have to go as much detail in it. We're going to try and like yeah. get you out because we know you're Sounds a really like busy time, guy. Too. Yeah, we know you're a really busy guy. We really guy. appreciate your time, too. Dude, yeah, cool. yeah you've been absolutely you. amazing. Uh, we love having you on. We'd probably oh. have you on for like four hours if we really wanted to <laughs> keep talking. If we're, we're going to talk cars, trucks, access to energy, <laughs> yeah. technology, uh, I got all the time in the world, so, but, I'm yeah, the little, but I have all the effort to, to talk about it. So where you guys lucked out so, with the timing is that we closed reggae and I sent everybody home oh, for a cool. while. They're like, Hey, oh, you guys awesome. have been grinding. Wow. So it's just me and Mark in the factory today. Nice. Uh, naturally there's a, uh, there's no break for us. We still got to keep working, but, uh, <laughs> oh. we got to set all these guys up for when they come back all fresh. So about maybe two weeks ago or so, um, you showed how the side mirror cameras are going to work, which I, I thought was actually really cool. They just kind of slide out. Um, looks like it has the turn signal integrated into it. I live in New York. I have a Tesla. I've had it for a little over two years. There's times where salt and slush builds up on the, the side repeater cameras, the rear camera. Um, how do you plan to, like, if, if that's going to be the uh, the, the only side view um, mirror, how do you plan on ensuring that it stays clean and there's no issues with that? And, yeah. and legal. So, yeah, yeah the, uh, the the first easiest method is being a little bit of the master of your own universe and going and wiping the little lens <laughs> off. Right? That's, That's what we do now. Every, every time you stop to charge, you get out and wipe all the cameras yeah. off. But let's say Steven's a little bit high maintenance and he needs a little bit more technological solution to that. So we, we are working on that because we have many cameras throughout. We have front-facing cameras, rear-facing cameras, side-view cameras, backup cameras. We're really trying to give you a full 360-degree view because when you're doing something like hauling a very large trailer, you need to know where it is at all times to be able to see that. And so also saying that we're going to operate this in the most adverse conditions we need to provide some solutions. So we haven't set exactly how we're going to do it, but I would say we have three really solid solutions that we could utilize through through nozzles, pneumatics, things like that to, right. to really keep that clear and clean. But at the end of the day, you're talking side view mirrors. Uh, it really is just going to be a quick like wipe off right. and you can go, which is a lot easier than currently. Like when you're in there with the ice scraper and like trying to clear it off or clear the mud off and, Point. Uh, so it'll be easier to maintain, but we'll, we want to set it up to where you're not having to do anything extra. You're actually having to do less as compared to any ICE solution or frankly, Getting any unfrozen any from an inch of ice to extend out from your vehicle might be challenging. I don't know. Now yeah, we're banging on our side mirrors out, to get yeah. them to. 
the popping out mechanism, you don't have a feeling that that will fail, like whenever it gets snowed in or something like that. That'd be fine. Push or do you think like, like hey, yeah, it would break the ice and push through. Yeah. So we're building for those adverse conditions, right? We're solving it at the ends because we know everything in between will be easy at that point. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna set that up one to be resilient and hard enough at that point that I can push hard enough to break through whatever that you're putting there. And there's other there's other solutions like using an impact type motion for that initial, mm-hmm. right? Let's call it an icebreaker solution. Like we're still in a lot of R and D around those different oh, yeah. things. Makes okay, sense. interesting. I like it. What's the biggest roadblock you're facing right now? What's the technological roadblock or engineering roadblock that you're having right now that you need to solve? You know, it's it's really there isn't any. I wouldn't say there's necessarily a technological problem. The human piece is what we have a hard time with. So being a company that, that we're at, at the stage of funding that we're at, at the size that we're at, no one really knowing we exist, it's hard to compete with folks like Tesla and Rivian uh, and Nikola for, for talent. But these are the ones making the really big splash. Uh, and we'll make a really big splash. Uh, we're fundamentally changing the charging and energy storage game. That is going to make this massive splash and then they'll flood here. So really it's Mark and I have a good concept of where we want to take each of these engineered solutions and to the level that we want to take it to. And we know that the talent is out there, right? And we've got this insanely capable, insanely smart team, but only a certain amount of bandwidth for all of us, mm-hmm. which is, you know, why the team plugged in is jamming 12, 16 hour days every day for the last six weeks. If we had a larger team, we'd have been able to execute on those things. So really the, the big thing that holds us back is getting the, the right talent in here, also to, to Phoenix, Arizona, which there's a lot of folks coming here, but not necessarily the big tech type mm-hmm. uh, yeah. solutions. So really it, it's that most of what we're doing exists already in different industries. Mm-hmm. We're, we're fundamentally changing the game on en- energy storage, but past that, we've got that nailed. We're making that literally just to my left on our pilot line. Uh, we're making those cells. I don't see a single technological thing that I'm worried about that I don't think that we can push through and solve. I would love to see that pilot line sometime. They that have is... a video on it if you haven't seen it. If you have, yeah, they, yeah, we have all the steps. Oh, really? Yeah. I must have missed that one. I, I was doing research. Maybe I missed it. All right, anyway, continue. Sorry about that. So on the, I'll, I'll go to that, that pilot line that we have. Uh, we got an initial quote that was, you know, in hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, close to a million dollars to build this pilot line. And we're a bootstrap you know, crowdfunded company, that's a big expense uh, for us. And so we had this realization, it's like at some point in the past, a dry room never existed. And somebody ran to the hardware store and built a dry room. So that's mm-hmm. what we did. We loaded up the trailer, we grabbed materials, we literally threw up the studs and the ceiling, uh, covered the inside, insulated it, put a dehumidifier on it, created our own dry room just with base materials. We're swinging hammers, right? Mm-hmm. Just making it happen. And we're able to do it, uh, like all in all under 40k like something that would have been <laughs> seven eight hundred grand right and wow. and looks super basic like you're looking at it like what okay. seriously and we're making the the world's most advanced <laughs> uh battery cell that's ever been invented that we know of right this little home depot manufactured room <laughs> that's kind of how it is at spacex like uh, there's just a bunch of cowboys out in the desert and you would never know that they're you know they're building or rebuilding the most advanced rocket engines that have ever existed. Yeah, and Tesla is the same way. So I joined in 2014, and in my head, right, I was a CNC engineer prior to that. And in my head, like, and and actually, I'd been inside Tesla. Tesla was one of my customers. I set up some of their CNC equipment and would maintain it. And uh, 
Satine inside there, but the stuff they were using on the CNC side was very technologically advanced. They didn't see a lot on the vehicle manufacturing side. So when I came in and kind of get to see behind the curtain, I was like, this is the world's most advanced electric vehicle, and this is how they're making it? Like <laughs> at that time, it was like 30, 40 years behind like modern vehicle manufacturing methods. Yeah. So one, that was a huge benefit because we weren't straddled by that, but it was also a bit of a Herculean effort to kind of move through that. We've now, I think, say we, I left there a while ago, still like part of my core, I think. Um, Tesla's now moved to not only using the most technologically advanced solutions, but also redefining mm-hmm. how we go about doing that. Model 3 was really, I think, that first point of redefinition of how a vehicle will be made. I just recently tried to buy a Zero. I ended up going with a Royal Enfield, but is there any plans for a EV bike to park in the back of this thing and charge? And and even separate from a bike, like that last few miles of transportation, like kind of like you talked about, you might have a big truck, you get into the edge of the city, park the truck and hop on my two-wheeler and, you know, it makes make, make travel more efficient. Yeah, so absolutely. As a motorcycle guy, uh, this is certainly something I want to drive forward. Uh, and first step is XT, XP, battery cell, get that stuff out. Uh, currently, there, there's no plans for Atlas to do a motorcycle, right? But what we're looking at is these solutions that we're developing for our own uh, application will marry very well, whether it's a boat, a motorcycle, ATV, UTV, all of the same technology still works. So absolutely, I will be building one based on Atlas tech, in my drive, <laughs> uh, 100%, and then I'm going to pitch Mark on that. I've been prepping him already. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you can go do your motorcycle. Just let me build a boat. Right? He's the boat guy on the motorcycle. That's cool. I, I would uh, love so, both. Give me both. Yeah. yeah so there's no plan for an Atlas motorcycle. Uh, but as things, you know, take off and grow, all you know, all things are indeed possible. I do think that there's some interesting stuff in the in the electric bike realm that not enough people are playing in. It's still mm-hmm. pretty far behind the times, right? As far as what I can get. They're uh, super expensive, and they can't keep them in stock. Charging is an issue. Heat is an issue. I know here in Arizona, like forget it. If you're trying to drive a zero around, it's a lot of charging issues with super hot days and things of that nature. So let's talk about the light bar. I love the light bar and I hope it stays in the final end product because I saw that you can like have, you know, different things display on it. Have you guys thought about like having, you know, beautiful driving or move bitch or dumbass, like just go right across the screen? Just middle fingers so, moving across. Yeah, it's a hundred percent programmable we're absolutely <laughs> going to do whatever we can to kind of lock that up a little bit. Right. Uh, I, I don't know that uh, given the double barrel middle finger across the uh, uh, light bar is necessarily uh, good for mankind. Let's say on a, uh, on a, on a spiritual level, are we not really honoring each other at that point? Right. Um, we're all human. We all make mistakes. You still want to yell at that guy, right? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're keeping it drilled down to functionality and, and needs that currently exist in law enforcement, you know, paramedic, firefighter, as well as construction, really big for the construction side. Right? That's yeah. where we see a lot of these XTs, which in the videos you'll see like the, the merge arrows and different things like that. So you could provide particular types of messaging. And I imagine for particular entities, we'll, we'll provide that ability to that kind of custom message particular things based on their specific use case. And what we know about people, especially nowadays, there's so many smart people and the access to information means that people are going to hack that and do whatever they want and, and print that on there. And at, yeah. at that point, that's that's something that that's that's, I, that's out of your hands. You can't. First yeah. time an analyst cuts me off, I'm hacking their light bar. You are an yeah. idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go home. 
<laughs> do you guys like even care about like coefficient or drag of of not coefficient or drag coefficient of drag uh, for this truck friction coefficient yeah. yeah yeah so we absolutely do care part of what drove us to digital mirrors is depending on the vehicle give or take it's about a three percent drop in efficiency just based on that so that's something you can limit and really decrease that profile three mm-hmm. percent of uh 500 miles right it's another 15 miles right? yeah that's that's the further you can go. So it absolutely is important. And I know what you're thinking. You're looking at that thing and it looks like a big square sail, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this happy medium that one must find. And the Cybertruck is a good example of that, right? Is like, it's got good drag coefficient uh, and looks really strange. And so you got to build a product that people are going to actually buy and figure out where you can gain those efficiencies elsewhere. Where we have an advantage with a particular use case of this is it's for hauling and towing, mm-hmm. which means I have a based on my mass and my relative potential energy, I have the ability to recharge on the way down with a lot more uh, ability than a typical EV. If I'm hauling a trailer, right? That's a lot of potential that's just pushing me down the hill and we can then regenerative really break through four motors to actually charge charge a battery back up while it's going down. Yeah. And because we're able to maintain uh, absolute control over the thermal stresses, means we can really push that to the limit there we won't we won't ever exceed the battery's limit to charge through regenerative braking do you think there's going to be a renaissance in like pickup truck pickup truck trailers uh after the ev trucks come out because like just to make it more aerodynamic you think they're just going to stay the same Uh, i I don't see much change there as that's already something that has been very important right whether it's a diesel or electric or gas we still have to deal with the same physics Mm -hmm. so based on what the i assume i've spent a lot of time looking at trailers and how they're designed, but I can make some assumptions around that they have a particular customer base that buys a particular product. And then they, that feedback mechanism has allowed them to iterate that to get the as much range as you possibly can, but have the appropriate amount of living space in that particular product. And so I don't see there being a huge change there from an aerodynamic perspective. I do see a massive change, however, in the electrification and the onboard like uh, energy storage, which is something that atlas is going to absolutely be able to help with there's a lot of demand for like little small trucks like like the old toyotas they're like the you know old ford rangers and things that you just can't you can't find a small truck anymore you know who needs this giant so i i see it currently right where and uh you know at the house i've got a mini cooper right super tiny it's fun to drive i make my girlfriend she'll sit there in the passenger seat and like you don't have to make go-kart sounds when you're driving there so like, <laughs> kind of do like I, I drive it i kind of feel like i'm five again and like, mm-hmm. right? uh, it's it's a lot of fun so what i see just driving around lots of these small vehicles so when it comes to doing some work i've got to haul a really big battery to do some real work we're going to end up with some big vehicles mm-hmm. but the technology we're developing here scales right down we can go to these smaller vehicles. It makes sense. When I'm going on a road trip and just me and the girlfriend, we want to take the Mini Cooper, right? It's, it's good on it's good on fuel. It's fun to drive. It's easy to get in and out of places, maneuverable. Mm-hmm. You got heavy traffic. You're kind of stuck it's wherever like you are. That Mini Cooper, you could slide through and, and get around. Just a, a whole nother, it's so much easier to park. So I think as far as the personal vehicle, we're going to see kind of a miniaturization of that. People realizing that they don't need all of this mass around them. And part of what's driven that size of vehicle, right, is internal combustion. Mm-hmm. We don't need that anymore. Yeah. So we can drill this down. What are my needs? Like everyone has this range anxiety thing, and it's absolutely irrational. We all recognize that. But you still want to buy that 500-mile range truck, even though you never drive more than 40, 50 miles in a given day, right? There's people yeah. going to be buying that. It's because now they have that availability and they can. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They may never use it. It's like you're going to buy a Lambo. How, how often are you drive 200 miles an hour, right? Almost never. You probably never will do that, but you still want that availability, right? And that's why people right, will buy right. that particular product. So um, last question. Final question right? Yeah, we have our final, yeah, question. final question. Is there any question or topic we haven't asked that you think is important that we talk about? You guys have done a good job of really running the spread. Uh, <laughs> and I've definitely d- dove down a few rabbit, few, few rabbit holes with you. Thanks for letting me. That's oh, dude, that's, me. that's what we go. We appreciate, um, that, we appreciate it. That's what we kind of want. You know, we don't want an interview. We want a conversation. Like, obviously, we are interviewing in a way. But we would, oh, like sure. a, we would like a conversation to flow freely. So if it takes us down a rabbit hole, like the helicopter thing, I would have never learned that mm-hmm. before uh, anywhere, you know? So it was cool. It, it's It's we're curious and you know you're an amazing guy we'd love to learn from you but anyway back to the question is there any topics that you think we should talk about i think you guys have done a really good job i kind of like you guys are all over the place right (laughs) i have one for you then um you just closed reggae campaign what are the plans to uh going forward as far as bringing in some funds uh generate revenue um so naturally (laughs) we're looking at all all potential paths of investment uh but that that is uh, frankly what uh the johnny come lately of business, right? Everybody thinks now that you start a business and then you find investors and then you grow that business and you execute. Well, once upon a time, that wasn't really a path. Once mm-hmm. upon a time, you made a product that people valued and they bought that product and that generated revenue. And then you reinvested that. And that's one way that Atlas can maintain maximum amount of ownership and control and ensure we stay on the right path by doing it a little bit of the old fashioned way is just generate, generate some revenue and earn the right to have a business. Right. There's a lot of this kind of vaporware type like, OK, here's the big dream. Here's hundreds of millions of dollars. Now make it happen. Well, it might not even be possible. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that a lot with with a lot of failed startups, especially in Silicon Valley. So Atlas is is so insanely well positioned in that we're going to be able to generate revenue this year and be able to filter that back into the business. We'd be crazy to not look at all the investment dollars flying around and SPAC, VC and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So we are looking at all those paths and when it makes sense. Well, absolutely execute on that. Uh, but past that, all of that could fade away. SPACs could disappear. VCs mm-hmm. could disappear. I have a product that will fundamentally revolutionize energy storage and any EV solution. And I know I can generate revenue with that. And I can build a massive ecosystem business just based on that. That's Th- cool. Thank you so much, uh, Chris, for coming on. Uh, everybody watching the podcast, please do not uh, hesitate to go to Atlas. Is it just atlas.com, right? AtlasMotorVehicles.com. AtlasMotorVehicles.com. Check out their YouTube channel. They're doing incredible things. They're super transparent, always posting videos like, hey, this is how this works. This is what we're on currently. Even if they decide to scrap, uh, you know, like let's say they wanted to build a truck bed, right? They said, scrap it. We're going to make something better. They'll show you the entire process. It, it's truly fascinating to, uh, to watch, and it's really exciting to kind of be a part of it, you know, watch them grow from afar. Uh, Chris, Thank you so much, man. We would love to have you on again. Even like I was telling the guys, it would be really cool to, you know, have you and Mark or even just like come down to, you know, Atlas's cells and like sit in the room and have an actual conversation with you guys. Yeah, we love you guys yeah, here. We talk so about you all the time internally. So it's it's good to have champions such as yourself kind of out there and helping bring Atlas out. That's only going to allow us to, to shift mankind in, in the appropriate direction that we feel it needs to go. And you guys are doing a lot of that work you know, helping us with that. So we're very appreciative of that. And you guys champion us is uh, very, very appreciated.